Pulse. Welcome to episode 24 now of the Digital Doctor podcast. Very excited today to have our probably our most um, eminent guest on our Digital Doctor podcast. And that's Martin Murphy, who's the clinical director and architect of NHS Wales Information Service and also the Caldecott Guardian. Martin, do you just want to say a quick hello? Hello. Um, great to have you. And uh, together tonight, we also have Marcus Ball. Marcus, this is your third podcast with us. It is. Well, you're Hello. going to become a regular soon. <laughs> so, yeah, so today I think we're going to be talking about quite a thing that's quite hot in the news at the moment, which is about um, privacy, security and of, of healthcare data. This is a subject which I believe is quite close to, to your heart, Martin. But um, before that, do you just want to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners? Um, yeah. Um, I'm the clinical director, as you said, on the uh, National Informatics Programme in Wales, um, also the Coldcott Guardian for the national databases. Um, I've had quite a varied career. Um, I still practice um, as a GP from time to time, um, but my main job is the design and architecture of the uh, IT programme in Wales. Um, I previously worked as director of health information and knowledge for the whole of the NHS uh, which includes SNOMED, its coding systems, HRGs, websites, um, health informatics training for the country, um, and responsibility for the IG and the large databases. And that's um, um, NHS, um, you're talking about NHS England or Wales? Yes, or? the okay, whole okay. of the NHS. All right, at okay. That point. Yeah. And uh, why, why is this particular topic something that you, you are quite keen to speak on? I think fundamentally it's the, um, it goes right to the heart of the doctor-patient relationship. Um, the one thing that's uh, stood the test of time is our ability um, to respect a patient's privacy and also to keep the information confidential, um, which they've get conferred to us um, and trusted us with. And one of my concerns is to make sure that as we move our records into the electronic universe, that um, we maintain that trust. Um, because in lots of walks of life, especially recently, um, people have been doing things which erode people's uh, interest, well, erode people's trust, sorry, in the things that are, are done on the net. And I just, I'm very clear that I would like to make sure that the health data is treated differently um, than other things. I think it was last year when the uh, the whole Snowden revelations came about. Do you think that has had an impact on your, your day-to-day work when you see your patients? I mean, after all, GP records have been digital for a very long time. I don't think it has a an immediate impact as yet, but I think what has been happening as a result of that um, is that people have become a lot more aware of how much of their data, which they thought was private online, is in fact um, open, um, not just to security services, but to other people, and how much of that information is traded, um, largely uh, for the purposes of marketing uh, to you, but also to create profiles about you. Um, and I think that, again, coming back to the same point, that um, keeping the health data to the side is what most people actually expect. Marcus, do you have anything to add at this point? 
Uh, well, I think what's been mo most noticeable for me over the past few years is just is the, the number of times you might hear the word data uh, on the news and, and in everyday life. I think five years ago we weren't hearing that word so much and now data is becoming something that we're, we're, it, it's part of our awareness that, as Martin said, that um, it's got a value and people are interested in your data uh, in a way that possibly surprises some people because you wouldn't think that the pattern of my um, Amazon purchases is that impressive to, uh, to a potential buyer of data. But it turns out that that combined with various other things, you know, can have a value. And so that the value of data has just become phenomenal. Um, I've heard data described as the new oil. Slightly hyperbolic, I guess, but you know that you know that, that's the kind of thing that gets banded around. I think it's interesting what you said because the um, I had a, this week. I think somebody offered me Sons of Anarchy. Um, they'd obviously seen I'd bought a a, um, a book on motorcycling and then linked this over and offered me this sort of um, American soap. Uh, and it, it just struck me again, you know, that if I can see your Amazon purchases, let's see, um, I probably know your interests, your sexuality, your politics, um, certainly, and religious interest. That there's an awful lot um, that's out there already, um, which people are trying to, to use to largely sell to you at the end of the day. Um, but I think people are only just waking up to the fact that that's how life is. <laughs> it's an interesting point, actually, because although you can infer those things that you've um, mentioned, um, they are inferred from things that you essentially have done across the public Internet. Um, and so and there is a distinction between knowing my sexuality because you've inferred it from what I buy on Amazon and knowing it because I told my GP, because people who... Um, would like to perhaps for whatever reason um, present a different face to the world than they than they do to their GP there's a whole world of difference between what might show in their Amazon purchasing and, and what might be visible from their GP's records so it's it's interesting that, that it highlights that these are different types of information and they, there's no way that they should be treated as tradable in the same way um, the, I think some of the um, concern over the recent care data uh, debacle, uh, if, I'm, if I'll, I'll be the first to call it that, um, is that I think people were concerned that it was going in that direction, that we would start off with the thin end of the wedge being uh, very laudable use of the data, but gradually it would become... Uh, more acceptable for it to be used for other things and before you know it these things would be available to buy. I think it's probably worth uh, pointing out at this stage that um, care.data is this um, program by NHS England <coughs> to want to, if I'm not mistaken, to warehouse all the information, coded information that comes from uh, the GP surgery that is collected on day-to-day -day practice and which is, which is identifiable via the NHS number and actually then merge it with information that's available as part of the hospital episode statistics and also merging it via the NHS number so you get a complete picture 
of how um, an individual's journey through the NHS is. Is that right? Yes, the, um, the aspiration um, and what is proposed and backed up by the law um, does exactly what you've suggested. Um, the, the issue has been um, around the, the purposes and control of that information because I think most of us, including myself, fully support the idea of using large data sets to improve the knowledge that we have of uh, clinical conditions, um, predictions, etc. Um, and people are happy with that sort of use. I don't think they're actually expecting the information to be passed over to other third parties who might choose to correlate it with other information. Um, and I think there was uh, a degree of uh, shock, really, that some of the data had been um, actually used by insurance companies to profile not individuals but groups. So it was actually used for refining, essentially, um, the the uh, um, profiles that are held on, on um, or are, are used by insurance companies. But having said, but cannot data doesn't actually exist yet. So are you referring to a sets of data that's been collected previously? Yes, the has data, yeah. and that's the hospital episode statistics. Yes, but the the thing about that is to is remember it contains date, time, and various other markers on it. Mm -hmm. um, including sites, etc. And there's a, there are degrees to which this data can be anonymized. Um, I think what's fortunate in this whole um, set of issues that come out in the last 12 months is now is the time to have the debate. So Absolutely. I think what we will have is a much better um, set of controls um, as a result of this, rather than find that we were in a very poor position, say, five years down the, the line when suddenly people woke up to it. Um, people are, are quite straightforward, I think, about their security of their data and their privacy. They tend to associate it with place. Mm. So um, they're not going to recognize that if you put it into a cloud service that it's uh, distributed all over the world, that that is a safe um, place to actually put the data, whether it's safe or not. Um, so I, I think there's there's a bit there's well there's a lot here about explaining um, what happens to data, where it's kept, and for what purpose it's used. And I think if that's um, restated in a very clear and transparent fashion, and the governance around it is seen to support that. I think that uh, most people in the UK will be happy for their information to benefit others. And if I'm not mistaken, there hasn't actually been a so-called security breach of HES data before, is has there? No. Um, we, we, the HES data has been used um, with the Google Cloud tools. Um, which is one of the issues that came out in, into the press about four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but to say there's a, there's a breach of the data is not correct. Um, I think what happened is people suddenly became very alert to what and who had been using this data and for what purposes. Um, so I think this stuff coming into the public domain or rather by being highlighted at this point 
um, just means that we're able to do more about it than we would have done if it was a um, had turned into a major debacle, you know, two or three years from now. I think that's I think that's um, yeah, uh, absolutely right. And uh, one of the things that filled uh, some of my uh, colleagues in the primary healthcare group uh, with alarm uh, last last October, sort of autumn time, when we were starting to hear drips and drips and drabs of information about the scope of care data, but the the full uh, governance uh, hadn't been uh, wasn't sort of fully explained. So it was it was very easy for it to feel as though the whole care data thing was was running away and was going to happen regardless. Um, and so there were, there were various groups, um, care, uh, Med Confidential being one of them, um, that sort of took it upon themselves to make a, a big stink about it really and sort of highlight this issue. Um, following which, I think that the pause has been very helpful because as, as Martin says, it, it enables us to have the time to get these things right because what we don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and lose the opportunity to have this standard of research from large data sets um, because of the concerns about the privacy of the, of the data. Um, I, I, th I think with the best will in the world, the, the way that care data has been handled centrally hasn't been exemplary really from from start to finish so a really big sticking point for many people was that the original proposal as it stood did had absolutely no provision for for patients to opt out mm. and that's still not actually in law um as the law stands uh, health and social care act still allows all data to be extracted and it's only by the grace of the secretary of state that we have an opt-out which he has said he will honor but we don't we don't have anything more firm than that. Um, that said, I trust that that will probably be honoured. The question is, if there's a change of Secretary of State and it isn't it part of the law, how can we be sure that it will be honoured to the as as time goes on? I think the other thing is that um, practically to actually enact that opt-out, um, relatively easy on the GP record, but given all the other sources that we have and copies of things, it's actually mm. very difficult to ensure that that's the case. I, but I do think that it's a move in the right direction because it's putting um, power back with the patient in terms of what actually happens to the data. I probably should say at this point is that um, we in Wales do something similar but we have completely different controls. And there's an article which we'll refer to um, and press the link in the uh, BMJ recently um, by Professor David Ford and Professor Roland Lyons at Swansea University, which describes how Wales actually deals with that. Um, I'm the Caldicott Guardian that arranges for the data to be passed um, in an anonymised format um, into what we call our sale database. In Wales but we have one set of keys um, for encryption in our organization and there is a second set of keys 
that that database uses. And the database, although it contains HES-type data, GP-type data, and other sources, contains no personal identifiable information whatsoever, um, except for a key for linking across the data sets. Mm. Um, and we govern the use of that data on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, literally, we have a committee who look at that, in, who includes the um, uh, BMA member who's also the chairman um, of the ethics committee for the BMA. And we look at this together um, with the Community Health Council and actually make a judgment as to whether the uses, um, purposes, if you like, to which the uh, research database is being put is legitimate. And our sole job is to make sure that um, this data doesn't uh, reveal anybody's identity or lead to any other action that we weren't um, planning. The other thing about the data is it never leaves that database. There is no export of the data in Wales. You can't have a copy of it. You have to complete your research under um, the controls that we have in place. So yeah. it's a completely different setup. Absolutely. Um, Sounds very different, doesn't it? Um, and Martin, the, how, how long... Now, I heard of the sale database before. If I, So you are able... Can you track an individual uh, yes. across health and social care, isn't it, if I'm not mistaken? There is some social care information in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, the idea is to have the sort of anonymized research database that is helpful in people's entire life course um, so that we're able to, to better correlate things and intervene more appropriately. Um, but the whole point is there's no PII, personally identifiable information in there, but we can link it. And said the other thing is that you can't take copies of this data. Mm -hmm. You literally have to do your research inside that database and you now have to actually produce your paper so that there's no possibility of you taking information elsewhere. I think that's quite a sensible way of approaching it, really. Yeah, um, I think that... we all credit actually to Swansea, to um, Professor Ford and um, Professor Lyon, is that they've become um, very, very aware of this and in fact are asked to provide advice all, all the way around the world over this issue, mainly because people have become more and more of the so, uh, aware of the so-called jigsaw attacks, which is where you take large quantities of data from different sources and then allow the machines just to crunch it until you start seeing individuals' identities popping out of it. Um, and these data sets are massive and are now available to do that. Sure. And I think that's one of the particularly good reasons for wanting to keep the data in somewhere uh, where it can be safe and so that you don't get your copy of the database because it's when somebody's got their own copy that they can start doing this uh, cross-correlation between data sets. Um, because the real concern is as, as you've got, once you've got some very rich data about a person, even without any identifiers whatsoever, the record itself to some extent, is identifiable because uh, there was a in the parliamentary debate about this. David Davis MP mentioned that he had had uh, five broken noses, 
and uh, as a, as an individual there probably aren't that many people who have had five broken noses now so if you know that you're looking for a person who's got five broken noses and you've got a detailed rich gp record which might actually have that coded five times uh, then you can work out which one's david davis uh, so not that that's uh, you know particularly easy to do because it does it, it'd still require a certain amount of uh, amateur sleuthing to do this kind of stuff but as you get bigger and more rich data sets out there, that's the concern. So it's really, the Swansea model does mitigate against that slightly in that you, you've, you've got a little bit more control of the data. People can't just take their own copy and then start connecting it to other things um, that are perhaps in the public domain. Yeah, the, the, I think the other thing to be you know, straightforward about is that if you've got a copy of the data anywhere else, how do you know that that copy hasn't gone somewhere else, you know, been actually moved on? And the, the sort of data sets I'm, I'm uh, envisaging for sort of de-identification of that type of information is I only need the location data, um, which you can get from people's mobile phones these days. Mm. Um, add to that somebody's credit type information about all their purchases uh, and about what they did on certain days based on purchasing and various other issues. Add to that their web history, and you get a pretty good picture of you know who's who and where they are, etc. And I think the the issue for me is that people are waking up this year to this. Um, we've had the issues around care data. We had last year the issues around Snowden, which continues to run. And I think people are asking the right questions now um, to take some control over their own lives, perhaps before it's a bit late. Um, Martin, the sale database is not new. Is this something that uh, individual uh, citizens can opt out of? Is this, um, I mean, was there any, um, not backlash, perhaps not the right word, has there, were there any objections or concerns expressed um, by the public about the sale database? Um, there haven't been, and we have involved the community health councils and patients' representatives and continue to do so, not just on the policy side of, of uh, how this is taken forward, but also on the on the day-to-day -day running and what research is, is supported. So I think we've got a much more collaborative um, approach in Wales, and of course we're considerably smaller, mm. so it's actually possible for... Um, for people to get involved in these things. Um, and about opting out, is there such a... There isn't an opt-out of the um, database per se. Mm -hmm. What there is, is the the way that we actually put data into it is, is based on the professionals who are in charge and are basically called the guardians of that data. So, for instance, at the present time, I think we have about 50% of GP practices contributing to this in Wales. And our methodology for this is to go and talk to the practices, explain the controls that are going on, um, make sure that the um, BMA, GPC Wales and other representatives are very clear and that they're involved in the supervision of that um, database and its work. So although we haven't gone directly to the public, um, what we have actually done is gone on a case-by-case case, uh, basis to the 
hospitals to the general practitioners etc who are involved in this and and is the uptake and the, of uploading the data to the database something that has plateaued or still increasing no it's increasing um, in fact um, when we had the um, publicity about the uh, health and social care information center uh, GPC Wales sent out a clarifying statement um, to all the GPs uh, in Wales explaining the difference uh, with what in what we were doing in Wales and what was being doing being done in England and we had two or three queries only between myself and uh, and Charlotte who is the chair of GPC Wales um, I think we've gone about it in such a way that um, people understand that, that we do put the patient's privacy first and that we've put a, a number of safeguards around it. Um, is there a chance we, we can get that um, document? Because it sounds like something that would be quite interesting to share with others. Yes, the, um, it was published, there were letters published in the BMJ right. um, to clarify this. And there's one, I think it was three weeks ago, um, which I'll make sure is available to our listeners. <laughs> and uh, and I think one of the things, uh, you, you spoke about this, of course, but not so much about the sale database, but about um, trust, public's trust in their doctors. And yeah. and you said something along the lines that, um, that we as doctors also had to wake up to this ourselves and that if our patients speak to us like patients expect us to know a bit more about this um, that is our kind of almost our duty to learn about data and, and privacy a little bit more how, how are you dealing with this in Wales or, or in general? Um, I think the, the information governance work that's gone on over the years um, well, we've had information governance toolkits in England. Um, we have an equivalent in Wales. We actually relaunched the Caldecott report um, in 2006 in Wales to reiterate the principles in the original report. The, I mean, it's an ongoing um, educational exercise because the frontier keeps moving. Mm. Um, one of the things that is not recognised, and I think this is a structural issue for the NHS, is that there's an artificial separation between security um, services in IT and information governance. Um, and the best person um, to follow on this is Bruce Schneier, um, who uh, has written Secrets and Lies and several other very important books about how data is secured. And he is very keen on looking at the whole system approach. And in fact, I've, we've taken, I've taken quite a few leaves from his book in terms of how you actually go about controlling data in a way such that it can be shared appropriately with the people who should see it um, without obstacles being put in a way, but kept away from those that shouldn't. And I think the, the biggest problem is in fact that this separation of security from information governance doesn't actually um, address therefore the, the current threats that we have. Um, the security tends to be still boundary security so it tends to look 
um, very much at the uh, network security of a system. Uh, it's looking at, at that boundary. Once you're across that boundary, um, you may or may not find what's called defense in depth, which is the technical um, approach to meaning that even though you've, you've actually breached the boundary of a, a network, you can't actually get at the data. And there are things like encryption and other things. You get, as you're, as you're understanding now, <laughs> very quickly into quite deep technical territory. Mm -hmm. um, our biggest threats in the NHS to somebody's privacy um, or to us in terms of breaches of confidentiality are, first of all, that we continue to lose um, data on unencrypted media, be it laptop or a stick or something. Um, the second biggest is that our own staff actually browse records they shouldn't be in. And the third one is that we continue to send emails to the wrong email address. Um, and in fact, if you manage to solve those three, you've probably solved 90% of the um, technical breaches that will or technical privacy breaches that will actually occur. So it's a matter of seeing this thing in the round because some are about training, some are about deterrence, some are about pretty hard security technology. And what you have to do is, is actually um, put those together in such a way that they allow the very good and well thought through laws that we have in the, uh, if you like, real um, paper world, you're able to actually replicate the same sorts of things in the electronic world. And we're pretty, I, I suppose in Wales, I'm pretty keen that we use all those techniques mm -hmm. in such a way that it, it allows people to get through that need to get through to stuff. Um, Dame Fiona Caldicott's latest report, Caldicott 2, um, is very um, clear about redressing the balance in terms of sharing more information appropriately. Um, because there was a tendency over the years for information governance stroke security to find lots of reasons for not sharing information, whereas actually the whole of medical care depends on good communications between ourselves, our patients, and between ourselves and other health professionals. I think that's um, an interesting point. The Somebody was filling me in on the background to the original Caldicott report, which I think came out whilst I was uh, finishing medical school, um, but was really a response to the fact that in the late 90s, uh, as some hospital data was starting to become available in computerized form, there was a concern among the profession that this would be would be start to be sold. In, in a similar, we, it was a similar sounding argument or co conversation to what's happening now. Really, the concern about data being sold for the wrong sort of purposes, and so that apparently that formed some of the background to the original Caldicott report. So the thrust of it was really that first report was to reinforce the idea that confidentiality uh, was still important, even when it was somebody's data. Um, and it was, as you said, there was a distinction felt between the paper and the and the computerized that in some way the computerized was more okay to disclose, whereas no one would have dreamt of disclosing someone's paper medical record at that time. And then this Caldecott 2 has had to revise that slightly and actually to 
make it more explicit to the profession that it is okay to share data when it's appropriate for the right reasons and for for, for the care of the patient. Um, because there had been numerous situations where uh, data sharing would had been declined on essentially slightly spurious interpretations of Caldecott 1 in the last decade and a half. And, and um, so the Caldecott 2 was kind of to try and make it more clear to to people that it's okay to share. Yes, I think that the last few years I've seen some really, really good publications um, and a sort of maturity in the publications. Um, there's First of all, there's the Data Commissioner's website, um, the ICO, which is an excellent source of um, principles, guidance um, around the Data Protection Act. Then both the uh, major um, defence unions uh, for doctors produce, again, very good information, as do the GMC and the BMA. So we now have really um, almost <laughs> no excuse for not being exposed to the right information about what you shouldn't and shouldn't do. Um, most of the time... You don't get into a dilemma, but um, just occasion, of course, um, cases get complicated. But you usually have time in those cases. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff out there now. And mm. it is about, at the end of the day, sharing appropriately um, and having a, a good uh, framework that helps you to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, and uh, controls that are sometimes in the software that help you to do the right thing. And I just, I just wondered. I mean, we these things about care dot data and about privacy and about Snowden is in the news all the time. But personally, when I've had you know, treated patients for the last uh, few years, I this issue about data privacy and whether the paper record or electronic record has never seemed to come up at all in the conversations with my patients. No one's ever asked me about it. I mean, do you have any experience in patients <laughs> asking you about this? No, I think most patients think, um, and it shows the, the high degree of trust they have in the, in the profession in this country, that that information would be shared automatically. So the patients in the hospital are really surprised that the hospital doctors can't see GP information. Absolutely. And, and vice versa. I think the, the point I was making right at the beginning is that that is because they trust us and the dangers inherent in the new technology is that we allow things as doctors to happen, which erodes that fundamental trust, you know, that was set out in the Hippocratic Oath at the end of the day. I um, think it's quite disappointing, actually, that we are at a juncture where we're um, having to fight off an incursion against patients' um, privacy on a big data level but we still are not really in a position to provide them with that seamless data uh, for their own care, for their actual personal care. So um, were care.data to, to go ahead as it had been originally planned, um, that we'd be able to get reams of data for analysis of aggregated groups and pseudonymized information and all of which is of no benefit to an individual, and they still would have that frustration. Uh, and I really do feel for people having to tell me when they've just told somebody in hospital 
a whole story and and then that's not in their record they say well isn't it in the record no uh and then vice versa when i'm in a and e and uh they'll say well all my records all my, my gp's got all this down they know all this why are you clarking me <laughs> and um it's really disappointing that that's the way it's happened to me as a doctor i, I would have preferred it for, from a, a a pride in the profession uh, point of view it would have been nice to be able to say yes we've now connected all the points of your care for your personal uh, for your personal care we can now happily send information up and down to whoever needs it at any time day or night uh, subject to them having a legitimate care relationship with you and all those kind of safeguards that we talked about earlier it would have been nice if that point had been reached before we were having to fight off worries about their data being in some cases misused because that's what the that's what the oversight's for is to prevent misuse. Um, so it's a, I find that a bit disappointing. I know we're making inroads into the former use, mm. the, but um, it's not there yet. I think it's because the um, the two traditions of developing hospital and GP information systems were completely different. With the GP system, it was always an operational system for the practice, and initially they bought their own, um, as indeed I did when I was a partner some years mm. ago. Um, that gives you a different perspective on what you're doing um, than a system which is bought primarily to count mm. and then has to evolve to contain the clinical information and the other stuff that we want. I would say, again, blowing our trumpet in Wales, we've, we've got to the point where we have got a portal um, which is an all-Wales clinical portal, which is being rolled out. And the purpose of that portal is to make sure that on the hospital side, wherever you have your tests, um, your uh, radiology or pathology tests, wherever you turn up, your tests will be available. And we're also working on the documentation, um, uh, making sure that will be available across um, the whole system. Um, we've just put the just done started the pilot of providing the GP record um, in the hospitals on six wards in Cardiff, uh, which is going very well. And we anticipate with the right controls, which is basically proactive auditing, that this will get um, rolled out later this year um, once the uh, system is in to ensure that um, people are treating the records appropriately. I think we are uh, a lot of interesting things there, Martin, to talk about, and I think yes, we'll be time, we'll, no, we'll be coming <laughs> back um, to talk about that. Um, perhaps a interesting way to end is that if if NHS England hasn't already approached you, uh, and let's say Tim Kelsey comes knocking on your door or your virtual door saying, um, "Come help us sort out care.data, What advice would you give us? Um, have you thought about what you're going to say? Um. I'd go right the way back to basics. Um, I would talk about the long-term view of maintaining the trust of the public, and both in their doctors and in uh, the NHS, and therefore in the state, is a big issue. Uh, transparency uh, is absolutely um, vital from this point on. And the other thing is a bit about form follows function. Um, being clear about the purposes, I think, will draw out most people's altruistic um, sentiments towards sharing their information when they see that it will be helpful for the greater good. 
Um, and lastly is this business about control mm. that we talked about, which is, I, I don't think it's a very good idea um, from my point of view to give copies of the data out. Um, I think there's something about controlling the information in a similar way that we've done in Wales. So I think there's a number of things which could um, recover some of the ground uh, which has become a problem um, and actually put this on a, the sort of footing we'd all like to see because we all have got high expectations of it. Um, and actually most people in the UK probably want to support it with the right controls. Marcus, there you go. I'm going to give you um, one, any one last question you might want to ask Martin. <laughs> I, I think that's actually that's a, a really nice point to finish on, actually, because I think that's that, a nice little recipe for NHS England. I have nothing <laughs> to add to that. <laughs> well, um, in that case, it's, uh, it's been a great episode 24. And Martin, I hope you'll join us again where we'll talk a little bit more about clinical information systems and EPRs. I'm looking forward Very to Very happy to do so. Yeah. Right. Um, well, goodbye from uh, me, Waikyo. Goodbye from me. Uh, great talking to you, Martin. Bye from me. Thank you very much. Check for pulse.